Welcome to another life-changing episode of Skidmark Show. If this episode doesn't automatically make you better looking and richer than you were yesterday, we will give you our next episode absolutely free. In fact, we'll give you all of our episodes for free because we're that good. Powered by Pinsoil. Hey, this is Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats, and you're listening to Skidmark Show. Okay, this is Steve Celine, and you're listening to the Skidmark Show. Hi, this is Darude. You're listening to Skidmark Show. Hey, it's Ethan D, and welcome to episode 101 of Skidmark Show. We made it through 100 episodes thanks to you listening, sharing our show on social media, and of course giving us great five-star reviews on your favorite podcast sites, so we figured we'd shoot for 100 more. And we're starting today with episode 101. It's a rock star episode for the young and the old today, featuring Rick Wakeman from Yes and David Bowie fame, and Wesley Scanlon, the lead singer from Puddle of Mud. We'll get started with Rick Wakeman, the Cape Crusading keyboardist for the prog rock band Yes, who you'll know from their hit Owner of a Lonely Heart. Rick also played with David Bowie on Changes and Space Oddity. This is ground control to major and even, at one point, recorded with Black Sabbath. But Rick isn't just known for his magical musical fingering. He's an extremely funny storyteller with decades of stories of all the crazy things that have happened to him on the road, on tour, and him just being Rick Wakeman. Plus, he's not just a huge car fan. He's had multiple car collections over many decades. Why has he had so many different car collections? He'll tell you that, along with many other great stories in my interview with Rick. That starts right now. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hey, Rick, how are you, my friend? I'm not doing too bad. I'm just sitting in front of a computer screen wondering what the hell I've done because I can't seem to get out of it. (laughs) Uh, I shall shall just leave it and uh, let somebody else sort it out. Exactly. Good? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Excited to talk to you, buddy. Oh, thank you. And reciprocated, mate. Oh, right on. My uh, my older brother is a gigantic fan of yours, and uh, I was going to call him last night, but it was a little bit too late where he lives, and just ask him if there's anything he wanted to ask you, because he's probably the biggest Yes and Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and Howe fan that I've ever met before in my life. So tell him he can get medical help for this. You know? <laughs> I've tried to tell him. I think he has some medical help, but that just makes him like the music more. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. The Cape Crusader, the original Cape Crusader, I would think, Mr. Wakeman. Uh, how, how did the cape come about, first of all? I'm sure everybody knows you from the numerous capes you wear on stage. How did that happen? The, the cape came about in 1971, and I was over in America here doing my first tour with Yes, and we were playing you know, sort of at best third on the bill at places and fourth and fifth, and where basically you, you you know you just hopped on anywhere you could to play. I mean, the great thing was there were so many tours out then, and and they all had four, three or four acts on. You know, so you could always get on somewhere. And we were at Hartford, uh, Connecticut, and a couple of days before, uh, we'd actually got got a review in a in a paper. It actually re- reviewed us. I think we were supporting ten years after, and it said that yes, um, this 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 new band, yes, well, 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 it was very nice. It said we were we were we were really really good and and, and interesting, and that the uh, audience really appreciated that kind of thing. And it said that it was very complimentary. About me, said that like my playing, which was different from uh, what uh, was 
goes on normally and keyboards in bands, um, but said that with the, all the keyboards I had and the fact that um, I had pedals and things everywhere, that I looked like a demented spider. Uh, and <laughs> and, and I, I thought about this and I thought, you know, they're right because uh, how you had to work back then because there were no sustains and things like that. It's nothing like what it is now. So I had I had pedals, you know, up on, on those stands and things. So, you know, I, I had to get into positions with my legs and arms. Uh, I certainly couldn't do it now, that's for sure. Uh, and I, I thought, I did a show after it. We did a show and I was conscious of it. I went, yeah, it's Right. And then we got to Hartford, Connecticut, where we were part of this small festival. And uh, it was being introduced, all the acts were being introduced by uh, a local DJ from their local station. And he was on stage and uh, I noticed, I saw he had a cape on, which was like a three-quarter length cape. And when he turned round, um, I mean, he must have weighed 220 pounds. I mean, he was big. Uh, really, really big. And, he, uh, and I thought, wow, that cape hides a multitude of things. And then I thought, that's my answer. And he came off stage, and we'd just been paid. I had $200, 10 $20 bills in my pocket. And I said, I don't want to buy your cake. And he said, it's not for sale. And I said, look, I've got $200. That's all I've got to my name. I'll give you my $200. It means I won't eat for the week, but I want to buy your cake. And he went, oh, yeah, go on then. So I gave him the $200, took the cake, went on. And uh, it was a three-quarter length cape on him, about half length on me. And uh, so it came off afterwards. And Michael Tate, who was doing uh, lighting and stuff for us back then, came to me and he said, you've hit on the answer. The answer is a cape, but not a half length black cape. He said, you need a real sparkly, shiny sequin cape that's full length that will catch all the lights and all of that. And that will really swirl and hide all your movements that you do. And I said, well, well, can I get something like that? He said, I know a, a girl who who will make them for you. And he did. He introduced me to a, a, a lady who, who made sort of four or five of the of, of the most, I suppose, um, uh, tapes that uh, people remember, which I've still got uh, four of them out of all of those. And, and that's how it started, really. And, and ever since then... Um, I, I can't imagine going on stage, you know, with a band or you know, doing a prog rock concert uh, without wearing one. It's different when you play the piano because you cannot play the piano wearing one because they are so heavy. They hang over your arms and it's like somebody hanging weights on your arms, you know, when you're playing the piano. So unfortunately, uh, they're not to be seen when I'm playing the piano. But uh, on any other concerts, I, I can't ever see myself going on without one. Well, it's uh, become your signature look, that's for sure. And uh, you're one of the few people I know who can play the keyboards, you know, on either side of you where you can't look at both of them at the same time with different hands. How do you get that motion down with that heavy cape on your arms? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. Uh, I must admit, it does weigh, but you, you've got periods of times where, you know, you, you can actually... You know, have, have your, your arms down a bit lower because you're standing up to play. So you can you can do that. So you you just have to sort of plan it quite well. And playing on the either side is I'm, I mean I play most of the time with my eyes closed anyway. So everything's done by by feel. So because um, sometimes I'm terrified to open my eyes because I look down at my fingers and go, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> and then, and then yeah, <laughs> it all collapses. <laughs> I, love it. I wouldn't have a, a clue either. I can't play just one keyboard in front of me to think of having one on each side and not knowing what both hands are doing. I don't think my brain works that well. <laughs> yeah, you get, yes, I've been doing it for for, for so long now. Um, uh, it's it sort of it sort of does come second nature. What what the the thing that 
took a bit of time to get you know, to get into your, the brain is that it's it's a, the equivalent, I suppose, of playing two different instruments in an orchestra at the same time. Being, t- I know it's physically impossible, but saying, okay, you're going to play the clarinet, you're also going to play the violin, and you're playing totally different parts uh, that. You know that are part of the whole piece, um, and that's what you're basically doing you know, with the, with the keyboards a lot. Uh, that that took a, a little bit of of getting used, to, well, getting it into my head of what was going on and being able to be aware of of both parts that you're you're playing. But uh, you know, I've been doing it for so long now; it's sort of um, well, hopefully, will continue to be second nature. How many keyboards do you actually have surrounding you now, like uh, on the tour that you got coming up? How many are you going to have uh, in your basic tour. setup? In the Grumpy Old Rockstar Tour that I'm doing now, it's the grand total of one. It's a grand piano. Uh, uh, There are no keyboards at all. It's just me, a grand piano, and a mic. I stripped Uh, it down. Yeah, it's just playing the piano. It's taking the music back to, you know, to as it as it was, as a lot of it was written. I do stuff of my own. I do um, stuff from other people I've worked with. Obviously, I do some Yes stuff. I do some of mine. No singing, I hasten to add. I, I do some David Bowie stuff, Cat Stevens stuff, some uh, um, McCartney stuff, some George Harrison stuff, all stuff that I've been involved with or have been uh, important to me over the over the years. And then in between that, I just tell completely stupid stories about things that have happened to me in my life. I love the completely stupid stories, and I want to I wanna have you share one here in just a little bit. But you mentioned Bowie. A lot of people, I didn't know until um, maybe a week ago or so that you were on Changes, Space Odyssey, and a number of other Bowie things. And at one point, he had invited you to become one of the spiders from Mars, and yet you had to turn that down to go with yes. And then you had the comment from the guy in the paper about being a demented spider. Did that guy in the paper know that you were almost a an actual spider from Mars? No, I think highly unlikely. Uh, highly unlikely. I made the decision. I mean, I was I was actually asked to join Yes on the same day that David asked me to uh, be part of Spiders from Mars, which he was forming with uh, with Mick Ronson. Um, but I, I made the decision to to go with Yes because I felt you know, I could have more of an input with the music how it was done. I mean, it was a it was a tough decision because David was the biggest influence in my whole life musically. Uh, a, a great friend. I did a lot of stuff with him, you know, the Hunky Dory album and his first album, David Bowie album. As you mentioned, Space Oddity, I also did a couple of bits on, on Ziggy Stardust and then I did uh, Absolute Beginners in the 80s. And, and we both lived in Switzerland for a, a few years and, and we were quite close neighbours and we used to meet, you know, you know, quite regularly, and put the world to rights. So he was a he was a great friend and a great influence. So it was it was a tough decision, but um, it was interesting that years later, I, uh, David and I we, we were sitting in a in a little club in Switzerland called the Museum Club, and the subject came up about Spice because he was putting a new band and things together. And he said, you know, you made absolutely the right decision when you went to to go with Yes. He said, and I would have told you that was the right decision to do. Um, and he said, because anyway, he said, look look at it this way. He said, I, I change musicians all the time. You know, I pick the musicians that I want, whatever the project is that I'm doing. And he laughed and said, "So the chances are you'd be out of work now, anyway." <laughs> um, but it was, it was, uh, it was, it was great to know that um, that he thought I'd made the right decision. But um, we we remain good friends, and he, and he, as I say, he was the most um, influential person that, uh, that I, ever, I ever had the pleasure of working with. He was an influential person on lots of people. You just were obviously one of the lucky ones who got to be personally friends with him and, and you know, feed off of, of his creativity, too, which had to be just the coolest thing in the world. It was. It was It was brilliant. He was very generous. He, he always picked musicians that he, that he knew, understood what he... Uh, 
what he was trying to get at. And and it would give you. He never ever said like when I did Life on Mars and things. You know, he would say, "You you play what you want to play. Treat it as a piano piece. You play, play what you want to play." And, That's really uh, cool. He, yeah, he would never turn around and say, "I want you to do this here and that there and this that." No, he let you get on with it. So your tour, you're known as a, an amazing storyteller, and that's a part of the uh, Grumpy Old Rockstar Tour where you get up there and you share some of the crazy stories. What's your favorite story, or the funniest story, I guess, uh, that you share and you've shared for years that maybe people who haven't seen you in concert yet don't know? Um, well, I'll, I'll give you a, a sort of a, a, a clue without telling the story away, because otherwise, you know, give it away for the for the shows. There is one where I ended up after being arrested, uh, sitting on a complete stranger's lavatory in their house. Um, it's 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 a ridiculous story, but but it's it's absolutely true. It's very funny. It's absolutely true. And there's another one about signings, uh, signing stuff, which involves. Um, um, uh, ladies uh, underwear uh, there's there's lots of ridiculous stories that um um it's it's hard to uh, explain but somebody once said to me uh, nothing normal ever seems to have happened in your life and it's and it's true it, it, it hasn't you know i've you know i've had so many things happen uh you know i've i've been a arrested in russia during the cold war years and you know which was my own fault really um, I stole a KGB uniform, which didn't go down very well. <laughs> uh, and I was on my way to Siberia. There was no diplomatic relations between them and London. But, you, you know, you get out of it somehow. And, uh, in fact, I go back there a lot now and, um, and play. And it's, it's, it's sort of laughed about now, but it wasn't laughed about back then. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it, my life is littered with um, unbelievably ridiculous things that have happened. It sure sounds like it, and you know, that's one of those things when people think of crazy uh, backstage tour stories, you know, they'll think of bands like Van Halen and stuff. I honestly, in, in my own opinion, would have never thought Yes had crazy backstage stories, but it sounds like you were the guy that might have had some of those stories, uh, backstage parties and, and after show madness going on. Is that true? Uh, yeah, if, if it was... Yeah, it was me in the early days, and then in later years, uh, uh, Chris took over. But certainly in the early years, yes, I did. Uh, uh, there were some crazy things that that, that, that happened, which, um, um, yeah, they, they just did because I, I I just like to have fun and enjoy myself and say I couldn't. I oh, I take and always have done take the music seriously, but I don't take myself seriously. And and some of uh, Yes's excesses were just ridiculous, really. Um, and they they just made me laugh. So I used to take the fun out of them, you know. Yeah, it sounds like you're a party guy. I, I, we should hang out sometime. Absolutely. Although my days of partying, I'm afraid, are long I mean, I, um, I haven't drunk since 2005. Um, I, you know, I, the, the, I'm 70 now. And show, instead of after shows where you look for the nearest party or bar or things to go off and have great fun, uh, I now get back to the hotel, find the late night movie and have a hot chocolate. Hey, that doesn't sound like a bad life. You know, I'm getting on in my years, too, so I, I might join you there for a hot chocolate. Early on in your career, when you actually started making some money, uh, like many British rock stars, um, the guys in Pink Floyd, you're a, a fan of cars, and you actually started a car collection and a bit of a car business at one point. How did that uh, pop up? 
That's true, actually. Yeah, I had a, a, a car rental business of sort of high-end cars. Uh, it started. I mean, I bought um, uh, a Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud, 1957 Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud One. I bought that in 1970. What year was it? 1972. Uh, and I and I loved that car. Uh, but there was a, a Rolls Royce that I always wanted, which was a, a, a Silver Cloud Three, Mullinder Park Wall, what they called the Chinese Eye, and that was the car that I always wanted. And I found one, and uh, I was going to part exchange the uh, the Silver Cloud One that I had. And the guy who was buying it, he said, "What did you pay for the Silver Cloud One?" And I suppose that then it would, would have come in at about five thousand dollars, which is a fair amount of money back then, but not much. Uh, obviously, not much now. And he said, "Well, I'll give you seven thousand dollars for it." I went, "Well, I've, I've had it less than a year." Uh, and he said, "And I said, I'll make two thousand dollars." He said, "Oh, absolutely." He said, "But you're an idiot to sell it." He said, "Because they're all going up in value." And I said, "Well, what am I going to do with with two Rolls Royces?" He said, "Well." I would spray the Silver Cloud one white, he said, and then uh, rent it out as a, a wedding car. Ooh. I went, really? He said, yeah. He said, look, I said, I'll tell you, I'll do a deal with you. He said, I've got a garage. He said, I'll take it in. I'll look after it. Uh, we'll get it sprayed white. We'll split the profits down the middle, and uh, um, and see how it goes. And I went, yeah, great idea. Well, it was in such demand, this, this car. He said to me, if ever you feel like buying another one, you know, go ahead. So I bought 22 of them. <laughs> and, uh, and there was all sorts of cars I had. Uh, apart from the Rolls Royces, I had Bentleys. I had uh, uh, some Cadillac. I had a 1957 uh, Cadillac Fleetwood limo, which uh, I loved that car. Uh, which was great. I had all sorts of cars in that in that collection, and it was really successful. And then there was then there was um, a, a, a bit of a disaster where I lost them all. It's called divorce. No, no. And, uh, um, so I started another collection up again when I lived in Switzerland. Uh, I built up a collection, not in a car company, but just of about I don't know about a dozen cars. And then I had another disaster, second divorce. <laughs> Um, and, and then I had uh, I built it up one more time, uh, and uh, in my third marriage, and I had about seven cars which I built up, and then had another disaster that was called third divorce. Um, I've been married now for a fourth time for for um, 50, 17 years now. We've been together, uh, and I've built up a car collection again, and uh, I. I have no intentions of ever getting divorced again unless she leaves me um, because uh, I want to keep my cars. <laughs> That's a great reason to stay married, to make sure you keep the cars. Absolutely. Open. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't, don't touch the cars. <laughs> Was there ever a car that you wanted that you've never been able to get your hands on? Um, to be honest, uh, there's a couple of American cars that I, I love American cars. The American cars of the 50s, I just absolutely uh, adored. Um and there's a few American car clubs in the UK, and they go to meetings and things. And if I'm, I can get to them. I go to some just to just to have a look. Um, I the, the the cars that I really loved. I love Studebakers. I loved the Golden Hawk. I thought it was a great car. And the DeSotos, I really loved as well. Um, and you see them go through occasionally at, at Macon auctions and things like that. And they're around. You know, and they're nice. But I think at the age of seventy, if I if I turn up back at home with a with another car that I've shipped across, I think yeah, that that could put everything in jeopardy. <laughs> you might lose the rest of the collection, huh? I do, but I, I mean, it would. But I do love them. I love. I, I thought the 
the 1950s, certainly from sort of like 55 um, onwards, was just a phenomenal year of design. I, I mean, I thought they, they, they were all works of art. I love that era of American cars. And you seem like you're more of a, a comfortable cruiser car guy. Are there any sports cars or super fast cars that you've driven or wanted, or you just like to be comfortable and, and have style? Well, I've, I've had, you know, back in the sort of the 70s and 80s, I I, I did have Maseratis, and I had a Lamborghini, and I, and, uh, I had a Mach 1 Mustang with a 5.7-litre engine. That went like a rocket and made such a great sound. Um, but, you know, as you get older, you sort of you know, grow out of that. I mean, I've got a, I've got a, a, a Jaguar XJS convertible, which I love, V12, um, but uh, which is, I suppose, the closest thing to a... A, a sports car, but it's 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 pretty quick, but it's not that quick. But also, you know, the, the interesting thing is, uh, my lifestyle now is completely different to what it used to be. I mean, I don't drink, I don't smoke. Uh, my wife and I, we don't go jet setting around the world or have expensive holidays. It doesn't interest us. We're very much home people. We love our garden. We love our pets. Uh, and my only weakness is is cars. So it's. Um, you know, she lets me indulge in that because then she can in- indulge heavily in the garden. Not a bad little trade-off there. I think you're doing great, and this it's marriage good. should last. It's a it's a great trade-off. Rick, thank you for taking the time to call us today. Can't wait to see you on the Grumpy Old Rockstar Tour. Uh, have a wonderful, a big fan, and uh, have a great day, my friend. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, and thank your brother. <laughs> I absolutely will. I'll tell him Rick Wakeman personally said hi. Absolutely. So love. Thank you, buddy. Bye. Stay married, Rick. No reason to lose another car collection for sure. Next up on Skidmark's show is Wesley Scantlin, lead singer from Puddle of Mud. They got a new album out called Welcome to Galvania and are currently on tour on their very own Mudfest. And I gave Wes a great idea for next year's Mudfest that I hope he can make happen. Find out what my great idea is as I get Wes on the phone right now on Skidmark's show. Hello. Hey, what's up? It's Wesley. Hey, Wesley. How are you doing, buddy? It's Ethan. I'm doing pretty good now. Just chilling out and getting some food with my with my girl. Nice. Are you getting ready to do another uh, show tonight? No, man. Fortunately, um, you know, I got like a few days off, which were much needed as far as like overexertional, you know, stuff is. It could be a little rough when you're out on the road that long, can it? A little, little dehydration, a little overexertion, a little mental confusion you know yeah i saw you um just recently you played the gig in tampa florida which is where i live now i saw the puddle of the mud fest show and you looked like you had plenty of energy left in you on stage yeah no i'm good man i'm i'm chilling i just um it's a, you know you gotta stay hydrated man you know <laughs> yeah i do <laughs> you, man. i like i like almost died on mother's day i'm not staying hydrated just not drinking enough water do you have to like go to the hospital and get checked in for a little bit I did, yeah. I went to the hospital and I had to go in there and they had to like give my IV and like sh- like put a bunch of sodium pentothal or whatever it is they put on you. <laughs> yeah, it was super scary, man. And I was just slamming Gatorades for like you know eighteen, twenty hours. Well, speaking of uh, medical stuff, I was I had to look it up. The new album, Welcome to Galvania. Uh, the Galvania is like has to do with an electrical charge in the skin you have the definition there in the bottom of the album cover like shock therapy or something what's behind that title okay so like you know like if you've been like listening to like your like a song and it just like mesmerizes you and you get like the goosebumps on your arm because it just feels so right yeah and it's an electrical charge in your body and it's like 
the persons or whatever who wrote the song or the emotional state of mind when you're in the, it doesn't have all, it's not all about music. It's like just emotional responses. Like, even if you're like, like, oh shoot, we almost just got in a car wreck. It's like, whoa. And like, you get this heat that goes through your body. Right. So my dad just measures like a lot of the music that I, I create and he measures it with the galvanic skin response. And if he gets goosebumps and the hair stand up on the back of his neck, then we're in business. But if uh, if there was no goosebumps, um, you know, trash that song and move on back to the drawing board, pretty so, much. So is your dad the, the first critic of your music then? Does he sit in there and listen to all the rough cuts and go yes or no? My dad, I, yeah, I run it by him. Very, you know, basically right when, you know, I get kind of a, a demo cut of it, you know, of the song. Good to have somebody like that on your team you can trust. And uh, it seems like you actually now have a whole new team surrounding you with the, the new guys in the band. And like this whole album is about surrounding yourself with positive people now because everything in your life is better and good and happy. I guess dad's number one, but how's everybody else surrounding you? Are they keeping up the positive vibes? Everybody's totally amazing, man. The, you know, the band, everybody's just amazing. My family, um, you know, my management and the record label. Just like, you know, it's, it's a great thing, and uh, why fix it if it ain't broke? You know? Nice. I uh, noticed that the the news track, Uh-Oh, it's one of those fun songs. You've always had a knack for writing, like, not-so-serious-don't-take-yourself-so-serious songs, you know, and Uh-Oh is one of those, you know, with the chorus, Uh-Oh, I fucked it up again. Uh-Oh, I messed it up again. I did a real good job. How much of that is autobiographical, and how much of that is you just kind of goofing around? It was just a, it was just a hooky, it just hooked. It's just like you know, when you're writing a song, you want everything to be like a hook. You wanna, you wanna grab the listener, and you know, if it's hooky, um, you're on the right path, and you know, don't veer from the hookiness of the of the song. You know, just stay on pattern and keep it simple, and don't overthink it. Yeah. Well, you've definitely been a pro at that. I mean, hell, just coming from control with I like the way you smack my ass, probably one of the greatest lines in rock music ever written. If that's not a hook people remember for the rest of their lives, I don't know what is. Yeah, you know, it's like the label, all the singles that came out on, uh, like, basically every single that's ever came out, the label didn't like any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Really? They didn't like any of them. Any of them that went number one and top five is, you know, and charted like excellently. It, yeah, they just didn't like it. Well, that'll show you what label people know. Those are usually the last opinions you want to trust when it comes to creating and releasing good music. Yeah, you got to love them, though, man. You know, they're giving you your dreams. So, you know, I don't really bitch about it too much. Just enough to squeak it by them so we could, <laughs> like, you know get down the road <laughs> i mean they do still write the checks right you know hey I'm, i don't yeah man, <laughs> i never got a check i don't think but you know maybe but I mean, you know they got my foot in the door which is you know that's a big step for a musician trying to uh trying to break into the scene speaking of uh come clean uh obviously the album with control and everything it's been Almost 20 years. You're about to hit one of those 20th anniversaries from not the formation of Puddle of Mud or your first album, but from when you guys really broke through. Are you planning on doing any of those 20th anniversary tours, doing Come Clean front to back, or is that idea overplayed and kind of tired? Um, no, I'm totally for that. You know, I'm going to celebrate, you know, success and, uh, you know, inspiration and uh, artistic, uh, you know, artistic 
ness, you know, artisticness and being an artist and, and breaking through and doing well and reaching people and helping people and healing people, really. Um, music's definitely like a monstrous healing thing in, in, in our universe. And I'm super happy to be a part of the, the healing element of music. And I'm just trying to basically get under people's skin and heal people and, you know, and at the same time, you know, put your freaking, you know, put your metal sign in the air and rock out and have a great time and, you know, love music and live music and be music, you know? Awesome. I'm totally down for that. And especially if you, uh, Mudfest was, the, this is the first year for Mudfest. I think if you did it as another Mudfest, but played a lot of outdoor venues so we could have like a Woodstock 94 Green Day mud pit in the middle and everybody just get dirty. We should set that That's up for awesome. you next time. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my sister, my mom, and, you know, my my uh, my booking team are all, that's going to happen again. So that's just really cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, who gets their own mud fest? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, and I thought it was great. I, the, I was sad that the gig you played here in Tampa was, you know, in a paved parking lot. Because I was really hoping we could just have, like, mud volleyball out there. People just dirty, sweaty, and enjoying the love and just a party. I know, dude. We're gonna have to. It's probably going to get to that level. So I'm down at for least that. It, at least it started, you know. So I hope so. Cross my fingers, and I'll be there, man. You know. Yeah, awesome. Um, how did you pick the lineup of bands for this year's Mudfest? And after that, who would you like to see maybe on the next year's Mudfest? Any bands you haven't toured with? You know what? Um, my my family, they're taking care of all that stuff and my booking agent. So, um, you know, they run it by me. But, you know, I'm just happy to have, like, I would love for it to be, like, a new artist, you know, a couple of new artists, maybe some prominent artists, you know. Right. And um, just go from there and, you know, keep building it and, you know, keep making it, like, funner and funner for, for the, uh, for the uh, you know, the entertainment for the, for the guests. I'm totally down for that one, and uh, I think if we pull off the uh, giant mud pit at every time you play, it's really not going to matter too much who's on the bill. Everybody's going to go for the mud fest party of it, and that's all that matters. The mud pit in the mud, dude. I used to do that, man. There was like I'd have, I would have mud fat, like mud fights. With, it was it was mud like girls, and and my ex girlfriend was like a freaking stripper. She'd bring all her stripper friends down, and they'd have a mud pit fight. See, mud, mud wrestling, wrestling, mud fight, mud fest, it's it's all the party, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I know you're you're trying to grab a, a nosh with your girl. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you're from Kansas City. Uh, and I'm spent most of my life in Texas. You've traveled the world though. So do you still think Kansas City has the best barbecue or has someplace beaten that for you yet? Got to be. Got to be. I mean, there's awesome barbecue, but you know, KC man. Rosedale, baby. KC Masterpiece, man. You know, they said it best. So you're KC gonna... Masterpiece. <laughs> you're going to rip your hometown no matter what, right? Yeah, I got to stick with my, my Chiefs and my Masterpiece. All right. Hey, Wes, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I can't wait for the Muddy Mud Fest to come up in the next year. I'll be there every year with you, brother. All right. Thank you, dude.
You can download the new Puddle of Mud album, Welcome to Galvania, and all the Puddle of Mud albums anywhere you get your music digitally, out on iTunes, Spotify, and all the other internets. And of course, Yes Music is out there and has been out for decades. Support Rick Wakeman on his Grumpy Old Gentleman's Tour if they come to a city near you. And Puddle of Mud on their Mud Fest 2019 is on the road right now, too. And go to the Skidmark Show Facebook page. We'll have links up there where you can download Puddle of Mud and Yes Music and get tickets to their tours. Thanks for listening to Skidmark Show. And please, as always, Give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. You can download us free on iTunes, Podbean, SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox. Anywhere you get podcasts, Skidmark Show will be there. Rate us. Share us with your friends. It's absolutely free to download Skidmark Show anywhere and everywhere. Check us out online at skidmarkshow.com, our Facebook page, our Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. And another episode of Skidmark Show is coming your way very soon. Until then, have a good one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Listening to Skidmart Show. We'll have another episode full of fast cars and rock stars ready for you soon. Until then, be sure to share this episode with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all social media. And leave us a five-star review everywhere you get your podcasts. Until next time, listen loud and drive fast when nobody's looking. Powered by Pins Oil. Oil.